If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapters 19 and 20 this morning. For those of you who were just kind of tapping in today, uh, been away for the summer and you're kind of tapping back in for a Sunday, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and today we're going to be in chapters 19 and 20. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you today, you can find one underneath your seat, and you'll find it, our text today, on page 62. So we're over at the beginning of the biblical story. We're actually in part two of a six-part story, I think. It starts in Genesis and ends in the book of Joshua. But today we're continuing through our journey in part two. Just a little warning, all right? So today we're going to do chapters 19 and 20. Between now and Labor Day, we're going to cover the other 20 chapters in the book, right? So we're going to move fast. So I've been challenging you throughout the summer just to read and reread the book of Exodus. Maybe read it through the first time in the New International Version, then read it through with the New American Standard, and then read it through in the Holman Christian Standard, which is the Bibles that we have in, your, your, in, in the seats. You know, just read it over and over again and get it familiar. But we're going to be moving fast in order to kind of conclude as we get ready to start the fall. But... So today, we're going to be looking at really what is the highlight of the book of Exodus. You know, I think sometimes we think about the plagues and the crossing the Red Sea and et cetera, all of that as being the big story in Exodus. And that's, that's not the case. Today, what we're going to be looking at is really the, the most monumental day in the life of the nation of Israel. And... And just to kind of let the cat out of the bag just a little earlier, up until this point in time, they had been following after a God who had carried them by his own descriptions on eagle wings to Mount Sinai. And up until this point, they had been following after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But on this day, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to become their God. And so rather than being just the, the, the people that came from their fathers, they are now going to become the nation of Israel, God's people. And God no longer is going to be understood just as the God of, or the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to be known as the God of Israel from this day going forward. It's almost like, like as they left Egypt, they began their engagement. And now they have finally arrived at their wedding day right? And so let, let's follow along. Now, this comes in three parts. Just, again, a little backstory, right? Just so we can say the people had been, been, had been held in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God had found, heard his cry. The time had come. He had acted through the individual of Moses to lead the people out, demonstrating his power over all the gods of, of Egypt as they understood him, he had brought them through the Red Sea. Slavery was finally in their rearview mirror. Everything about their, their, their lives now was going to be determined by their future. And their journey brought them to what is known as the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, the place where God spoke to Moses and said, go, I'm, I'm ready to let my people go. And they arrive at that place. And in this chapter, they arrive. They've been on the road since leaving Egypt for 90 days, for three full months. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 9 of chapter 19. And what we're going to really look at first is the preparation. There's one of these moments where they are making preparation to encounter God. 
And so Moses has, has been up to the top. He's told the people, it's, it, you know, it's time to enter into covenant with God. This, this engagement is now coming to an end. The wedding day has arrived. And he gives these instructions at God's leadership on how to prepare. Let's pick up in verse 9. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. That's going to be something that's going to be hard for them to do, right? God says, I'm going to show up and I'm going to speak to you in such a way that people are going to know that they can always trust what you say, but they don't. Then Moses reported the people's words to the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. In other words, prepare them, get them ready. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up in the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain will be put to death. No hand will touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with an arrow or with arrows. No animal or man will live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then they're going to be able to go up on the mountain. So then Moses came. So the whole idea there is if somebody wanders up on the mountain and they have to execute God's judgment, they say, we don't want you to go after them and drag them back and execute it because then you're going to have violated the command yourself. So just hit them with a rock from a distance or shoot them with an arrow, and then after the horn blows and it's okay, then you can come in. And it's projecting the holiness of God. We'll get there in just a minute. So then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be prepared by the third day. He said, and don't have sexual relations with women. So here we have the preparation stage, right? The, The day has arrived for them to enter into a relationship themselves with God. It's no longer the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who was keeping his promises to these guys who are long since dead. They've been dead for over 400 years. God is ready to form a, a, an ongoing commitment and relationship to the people that's known as the Hebrews, the Israelites, God's people. And Moses says, you know, we got to get ready. God says, you got to tell the people you got to get ready. So there's three things that they were told to do. First of all, they got to get their clothes ready, right? And so most Israelites would have had one set of clothes. That's it. You know, and some might have had two, but most would only have one set of clothes. So they wore them all the time. And it's just not a pretty picture, right? I mean, they wear the same clothes day after day. You know, one of the guys I read said probably on average they only wash their clothes a couple of times a month, Right? I don't think it's cool there, right? I mean, I, I'm trying to think if I wore something for two weeks without washing it. You know, not only would my wife not be able to stand me, but I don't think I could stand myself, you know? Just a matter of what this would smell like. <laughs> you know, and, 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 but two weeks, and God says, you know what? You got to get yourself ready. And, and this is no easy task, right? Let's just imagine right now that every single American decided that they had to have their suit or their dry clean only dress done in the next three days. What would you think would happen to dry cleaners? I mean, you've got a million people with one drinking hole, and they've got to wash their clothes. So it takes three days. And even then, it's 300,000 people a day to get them ready, 
right? And on top of that, they got to get water out of there to feed their flock. It's a big deal, right? And, and you say, well, what's the big deal? Let, let me ask you. You know, I don't know what it was like in your journeys, but, what, you know, how many brides do you think get up on their wedding day and say, gee, I wonder what I'll wear today? You know, I got nothing in my closet. I'll just wear jeans and a T-shirt. How, how many of you think you do that? I mean, you know, there's whole shows now about what, say, yes to the dress. I spend the average of about three to four seconds on that show, but I know it's on television, right? You know, and it's, it's a big deal what you wear, right? You know, you months in advance and several fittings and et cetera, and then the guys are going to get these, pay more for a rental suit than they would ever pay for a real suit, you know, all that kind of, and, and it, it matters what you look like, right? And, 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 you know, how many of you, when your kids are having school pictures, are going to say, hey, let's get the worst clothes out of your closet? And send you to that because we want you to look as bad as we possibly can, right? You know, and, and no matter what you do, your kids are going to spill juice all over the front of their shirt before they have their picture taken anyways, right? You know, it's just, just the way it goes. But it matters, right? He said, listen, if you are going to meet God and enter into this covenant, you've got to look right. It's a part of preparing for this monumental day. Then they have to set up, you know, the proverbial gates around the mountain, Right? And, and, and all of this is contributing to an overall picture we get. He says, you know what, you've you got to mark off the fencing so that people don't cross over the fence and come up. And just kind of out of curiosity, without really having any respect for God, just kind of wander up the mountain and say, hey, I want to see what God looks like. So no, 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 no. You know, the, the only ones who can come into God's presence, that close proximity, is somebody who's really ready for the part. And that means they have to be prepared and they have to be called. And that's Moses and Aaron, as we're going to see as the text goes on. The rest of you are going to stay back. In fact, this is such a command that if anybody violates it, if any animal violates it, you have to execute my judgment on them because they have violated my holiness. But you can't go after them until the horn is blown and it's safe. And then you can go in and you can pull them out. So that's the second thing they got to do. The third thing he tells them to do is that you can't, you, you can't have sex with your spouse. And, and it's, the, the picture there is not that sex is, somehow makes us dirty. The picture there is not that it somehow defiles us. But it, it's the picture of that it, it's, it's like fasting from food, right? It, it's a part of, of, of focusing on God. And, and I think there's an element that the reason why he, takes, he, he takes this particular element that is the natural rhythm and, and really a, a gift from God that he says, you, you need to abstain from this gift, you know, in terms of marital sex for a period of time in preparation for this, is because often in the ancient world, worship of God was associated with fertility cults, right? And they would have been exposed to that in Egypt. So part in the back of their mind, they're thinking, hey, we ought to be having lots of sex so we can get God all aroused so he'll you know, engage with Mother Nature and we'll have plenty of food to eat kind of thing. And they said, no, 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 that's not the way it works. And to prove the point, abstain from sex with your spouse until you're ready for that moment. Why all this preparation? Why all this preparation? And I think it's twofold, and I think it's something that you and I can really come to appreciate and should appreciate in our own journey. First of all, this is a life-changing moment. This is a life-changing moment. It's significant. This is going to alter the history of Israel until the second coming. 
And this is a monumental event where it's no longer just the faith of our fathers, but now we're saying this is our faith. It's not just the God of our fathers. Now we're saying this is our God. It's not just the responsibility of our fathers, but now it's our responsibility. You know, it's, and, 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 and this, is a, this is a monumental moment in their lives. It's a big deal. Secondly, whenever you encounter the one and only God, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I, we, sometime today, I think because we have this idea of the Emmanuel, God with us, and et cetera, we, 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 and so we have this, this, this chummy kind of feeling with God. He's our best friend and this and that. We, I think we lose sight of the fact that we are coming into the presence of the singular being in the world. And all that's going to take place in the, in, in the encounter, the, the clouds and the thunder and the lightning and the and the, and the smoke and, and the, and the um, trumpets are going to sound. All, all of that is designed to communicate, I'm not like you. I am not like you. You, you are different than me. I am holy. I am God. I am sovereign. I am a ch- I'm, and, and you are coming to me. And, and that's, that's a big deal to come into the presence of the holy God. And, and I, I certainly think that you and I should have this, this intimate kind of connection with God. But we also need to hear this call from the text that, that we need to prepare ourselves as we go. God, God is not a beggar and will just take us any way that we show up. There's, there's a sense in which if we're going to invoke God as Father, we also need to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our journey on the earth. We need to have a sense of respect for the differentness of God. And, and that's what First Peter talks to us about. So here's the preparation. Moses said, the day has come. It's time to get ready for the wedding, right? This is your spiritual wedding. So get your clothes clean. Make sure you don't, you don't, you know, you, you don't treat God casually just by wandering around in the mountains, as curious as to whatever. And then lastly, he said, you know, You've you got to focus singularly on God, so abstain from sexual relationships with your spouses. Then we have the encounter, and this is going to take a little longer. And, and it really begins to pick up in verse, uh, verse uh, 16, and then it really runs all the way through verse 17 of chapter 20. And, 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 and those verses in chapter 20 are the Ten Commandments. And so let me just say a word about the Ten Commandments. We're, we're going to look at them from more of a 10,000-foot of a level. A lot of times in a series like this, you drill down, and, and we've done times where we've just done one commandment a week for 10 weeks. And we have that available on our website for you to go look at. We're, we're going to look at this in broad strokes today and then move on, right? And, and, and yet I'm going to try to put some contrast around it. But this is what comes down as the Ten Commandments. So it starts out. So on the third day, again, three days of prep, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a loud trumpet sound so that all the people in the camp shuddered. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So the, the kind of the railing is set up, the markers are set up, and they're standing back from the mountain, from, the, from, the, from those markers, looking up at the mountain, and all of this is taking place. 
Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down and made him fire. And its smoke was going up like the smoke of a furnace, right? And the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. So the whole, the whole thing is God saying, he's trying to create a circumstance, a situation. The technical term is a theophany, a God appearance. And he's trying to make sure that the Israelites understand that God is really there. And the instruments that they would have used got, is common in, in, in divine revelations is thunder and lightning and clouds and smoke and, and the sounds of trumpet. And so all of those are present, not just one, but all of them, right? God is making sure that they understand that they are having an encounter with the unique being in the universe. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, and the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. And what just summarizing, he says, go back down and make sure the people know not to come up on the mountain because I'm not anybody to be messed with, right? And Moses said, well, listen, we staked everything. We told them. And I said, no, no, you go down and you tell them, right? And then after you've told them, I want you to come back up with Aaron. So we drop down to chapter 20. And, and we don't know if Moses went back up on the mountain and then the Ten Commandments were given or that he was down on the down on the, at the base of the mountain with the people as the Ten Commandments were given. But here's, as they roll off in chapter 20, then God spoke all these words. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the place of slavery. God identifies himself. So he said, if you're going to have a relationship with me, the king who brought you victory brought you out of the land of Egypt. If you're going to have a relationship with me, here's the first thing. Do not have any other gods besides me. This is the most exclusive claim to spiritual allegiance that the ancient world had known to this point in time. Not just you got to have me above all gods, which says don't have any other gods besides me. Don't make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Why, why the, 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 the law on, on idols? Just real quickly, the ancient world believed that if you carried an idol that had been dedicated to a god, then you always had the god with you. It was like, it, it was like having a hotline to God's desk. So anything you did, anything you said in its presence, the god could not help but see and hear. It was all about control. And God said, you got to understand, you, you don't control me. So no idols. You're going to get my presence when you honor the covenant. But when you don't honor the covenant, you're not getting my presence. So no idols. No idols. And no looking for substitutes because you think, you know, I may not be around. Which is actually what happens in just a few chapters. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who uses his name that we're familiar with the Lord. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. This is really a lot about oaths and promises by and large. You know, back before they had registry of deeds and this and that and whatever, saying, you know, I, I swear by God that I sold you this piece of property and then you had to keep your word because God was the seal of the validity of it. So don't, so don't use my name in vain, right? 
Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you labor, do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. And this is not saying, okay, I won't work, but I'll make my kids work. No, nope, your sons and daughters can't do it. So I won't work, but I'll make my Hebrew servants work. No, that ain't going to work either. They got to rest. So I won't work, but I'll make my slaves who aren't Israelites do it. No, 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 you can't do that either. Well, you know what? I'll figure out how to make my animals do it. That doesn't work either, right? <laughs> so this is for, you know, he says, he says you can't make your, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the foreigner who's within your gates. It, it, it applies to everybody. It's not just a, for the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother so you may have a long life in the land that the Lord has given to you. This originally was primarily about taking care of your parents in their old age. This is before they had nursing homes and this and that and that kind of stuff. So when, a, when, a, when an individual got to a place where they no longer could work, no longer could farm, no longer could tend to animals, if they didn't have somebody to take care of them, they died. And so God said, a part of the culture that we're going to create as a people to represent the way that I'm going to take care of you long term, I expect you to take care of your parents long term. Honor your father and your mother. Don't commit murder. All right? Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony about your neighbor. People can lie under oath. There's no justice, Right? So it's all about strength and authority at that point. He says, don't give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not cover your neighbor's house. Do not cover your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I think the last phrase is there. It's, it's, not, like, it's not like it's inappropriate for a young man like I was when I was 22. I got married at 23. It wasn't inappropriate for me as a 22-year-old to have a desire to say, I want to have a spouse that I can love for a lifetime, that's going to treat me with respect and dignity as I, as I try to display Christ's love to her. That's not wrong to want to have a great spouse. It's wrong for me to want to have somebody else's spouse what already is appropriately theirs, right? It's not wrong for me to, to, to want to have a good education, but for me to try to, try to, be, to be covetous of somebody else's education, resource, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's what already appropriately and legally belongs to somebody else. You shouldn't put your aim on it. You can put your aim on something that's like that, but not on theirs, because that leads to all kinds of issues, right? So what about, what about this encounter? So first of all, you, you have the display, and, and, and you got to see that God is making this effort. Right up front, what did he say? He says, I'm gonna do, this moment's going to come, so the people are going to know that I've spoken to you, and they're going to believe you. And God's making that happen in this encounter, right? Their reaction, and we haven't read it yet, is, you know what? We did that once. I don't want to do that again. From now on, Moses, you talk to God, and you come back and tell us what he said, because that just scared the wits out of me. And I, and I think if it happens again, I, I'm going to die. And that's what they say in following verses 18 and 20. So that's it. One and done. It's enough for me. Right? And we're going to get there in just a minute. So there's that encounter piece, right? So God is making it clear that he's speaking. This isn't just any. This is the God who is speaking. And what he gives them, and, and, and let me, this is where we're going to do the 10,000-foot level thing here. So, you know, the, the rabbis understood the law in three layers. There were the two, 
And Jesus affirms the two, the great commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That comes in Deuteronomy. It's about 20 years into the future, right, from where the Israelites are right now, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second one comes up in the next book in Leviticus, maybe within the next few months. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those were the two. Everything in the 10, the 10 words, the 10 commandments point to those two. The first four talk about what does it really take to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Can't have any other gods. You, you can't feel like you can manipulate God by carrying him around in your pocket and he's got to do what, what you say. You twist his promises and he has no choice. That, that doesn't work. You got to treat God with respect. You, 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 you can't, if you're going to, if you were going to say that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your yes better be yes and your no better be no. No fiddling around. You sign that check and you put your name on it, it better not bounce because you're reflecting my character. And the list just goes on and on. So, so you got the four at the beginning that talk about how it is that you love God. Then you got the six that talk about how you love your neighbor. Here they're all, all expressed in a negative format. You know, imagine in, in, in an era where they really couldn't lock their tents and they didn't have fences in their, in their, in their herds and instead of wandered around. If people were stealing stuff, there'd be nothing, right? Imagine you, you're holding on to the, to, the, to the goat because your family's about ready to starve and then somebody steals it and you starve. Right? So, you know, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, and, the, and here are the six commands that are filled out. After the two and after the ten, the rabbis identified 601 laws after that. So 613 altogether. The ten explain the two, and the 601 apply the ten to every circumstance of life. But God is basically setting before them a constitution saying if you want if you want to be blessed as a people if if you want to have a long journey in the land right what you've got to do is you've got to have a love for me and you've got to have a love for other people and it is expressed this way i i don't know if there's an appropriate connection for us to like to do what we have in our own country you know might we you know we might have two guiding principles like you know life and liberty for all right you know, liberty and justice for all kind of idea. And then the second is the government by the people for the people, right? And then all of those, those two major principles are embedded in our Constitution, which is just on several pages. And then we have libraries full of all the rest of the laws that somehow express what the Constitution means, right? The two, the ten, the 601. So God... but. So God, is, this is the encounter. God gives him the 10 words. He's saying, as you enter into this marriage relationship with me and you as a nation become my spouse, this is the commitment you're making. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength by having no other gods before me. You're not going to take my name in vain. You're not going to have any idols. You know, that, and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to steal. You're not going to covet. And right on down. And you're going to honor your parents, you know, as, as a symbol of that. And so God just lays it all out for them, right? And, and their, their reaction to this whole encounter, right, is, is that, 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 and we pick this up in, in um, follow along with me in verse 18 of chapter 7. So all the people witnessed 
the thunder, the lightning, the sound of the trumpets, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. And so they had no doubt that God was speaking, right? When the people saw it, they, they trembled, and they stood at a distance. And they said, you know what, Moses, you speak to us, and we'll listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us, or we're going to die. And Moses responded to the people, don't, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you to see that if you will fear him and will not sin. And, 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 and I, there's a, just a wonderful whole thing that we could tickle out here. I mean, I, I think in New Testament times, we have lost our sense of appreciation for the fear of God. There, 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 there should be two things that compel us into the faithful relationship with one. God, one is being so overwhelmed by God's love and what he has done for us and what he's displayed for us. And we're going to see that in just a moment in the Lord's Supper. But there also ought to be a sense that there's a sense of fear, right? That God is holy. We don't belong on the mountain. If we climb over that fence and try to get on the mountain, we don't belong there. And the only thing that awaits us is death because we're not worthy of it. And with that, there ought to be the sense that, that we are motivated to give ourselves to the one who's ready to bring us into that relationship with him. And there needs to be this appreciation. And we've really lost that today. We, 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 we almost act, I think, so often as though we're just kind of negotiating with God. Say, God, you know what? I like, I know you get 601 rules, right, that go with these 10. And, and I like the two. And I like the idea to love the Lord your God with all your mind. That's pretty good. And to love your neighbor as yourself. But you know what? These 312, I don't really like those very much. So you know what? You can apply those to other people who are weirder, weirder than me. But I'm normal. I'm educated. I understand. So I, I just want the rest of them over here because those make me feel good. And they make me feel fulfilled. And, they, and, that kind of, and, and, and we have no fear. We can pick and choose. And God says, you know what? There are two options. Take it or leave it. And your mother had that sign in your kitchen? You know, what's for dinner? My mother, my mother had a sign for a while. What's for dinner? Take it or leave it. That was, those were the two things that were for dinner, right? You know, you just ate what was put before you or you used to starve, right? You can tell I didn't miss many meals. So, and, and, so let's back up though. So, it, it is so fundamentally important for you and I to understand the relationship between the law embodied in the 10 rules or words that we get and the heart of God. And, and, and I want to drive you back to something in, in, um, in chapter, in verse 5 and 6. When, when, when God is speaking to the people from the cloud and to Moses and telling them, don't make it an idol for yourself. There'll be no idols. In verse 5 it says, you're not supposed to bow down to them or worship them. Because I'm a jealous God. And I punish the children for the father's sin to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. And do not read this passage of Scripture and understand that to mean that I'm being punished for what my great-grandfather did. That's not what this passage is teaching at all. The, 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 the overwhelming message of the Scriptures is that you and I are accountable for our own actions and nobody else's. And so it's not what my parents did. It's not what my grandparents did. It's not that my kids or great grandkids or great grandkids will look at me and say, well, it's his fault and that I'm being punished for what he did. That's not the way God operates. What God is saying, though, is, you know what? Just because it's something that happens over and over and over and over again, 
I'm never going to normalize it and accept it if it's sin. And I'm not going to grow weary of calling it sin and dealing with it as sin. Right? It, 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 that's what he's saying. He says that, you know, you, you, you let, let me use this. You may have learned another religion from your great-grandparents. And it was passed on to your parents. It's passed on to you. And you pass it on to your kids. And it's not like, well, what, you know, this is what I know. This is what my parents gave me. How can I be? No, 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 no. You have rejected the witness that God has in creation to himself. And just like your great-grandparents and your parents and you and your kids, you're responsible with what you do for that witness. And, 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 and so it's not just that, well, you know, I didn't have any options because it's what my parents taught me or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. We are responsible for our own actions. But I don't really think that's the major point. What I want you to see here is God said, I, I'm, I'm going to take sin seriously. And he uses the example of three to four generations. But as you read on, what does he say? He said, but you know what? I'm going to show my loving, my faithful loving kindness to a thousand generations of those who love me and obey my commands. Three or four, a thousand. You see the contrast? You think God's trying to make a point? You know, I, I, I try to visualize this for myself, right? You know, because it's not even like the same zip code. It's like, you, w- w- do you think it makes a difference? Like, you know, you're, you're, you, you know, if somebody's wearing a ring on their finger because they won the company softball league or whether they're wearing a World Series championship ring. A little different there, right? You know, or you won the flag football title for your town or whether you won the Super Bowl. Or you think there's a little difference between you going to your second grade's orchestra concert where they're all playing recorders or you're going to Symphony Hall, right? I mean, there's a, there's a difference, right? They're just not even the same zip code. And, and I try to visualize myself. Say if you were just stacking two-by-fours, right, just on the side, three to four, six to eight inches, look about right. You do a 1,000 two-by-fours, right? That's 166 feet. The front of our building from one end to the other is 180. Three to four to... God's trying... My heart is this. I don't want to punish you. I'm all signed up to bless you. I don't want to punish you. I'm all signed up to bless you. I don't tell you you have to have a bedtime and eat your second helping of vegetables and you can't go swimming for 30 minutes after you've had lunch. I don't tell you those things because, you know what, I I really don't want you to get dessert because I want to eat your dessert. You know, he doesn't give us those rules to punish us. He gives us those rules to release us into what he's been. How many of you, when you have, some of you are getting close to me, you're going to be grandparents or already grandparents, Right? And, and, and even though you don't have any little kids in the house, you're going to put up a gate at the top of the stairs, right? Why are you going to do that? Because you, you, you want to be mean to your, to your grandkid? You do it because you don't want them to fall down the stairs and get hurt, right? Your motivation, that is God's heart for us. I'll deal with sin to three to four generations if I have to, but I got to tell you what I'd really prefer to do is to demonstrate my loving kindness to a thousand generations. And that's God's heart for us. And, and, and I got to tell you, I think that is the thing that you and I need to deal with in this text. Because it's really interesting that Moses says to them, it, it, that um, says God, God has, has done this as a test 
to see that if you will fear him and not sin. And I think our reactions to God's commands in our lives is actually a test. Do we see these things as a burden or do you see them as a blessing? When God says to you, I expect you to be forgiving as I have forgiven you, is that a burden or is that a blessing? When, when, you know, when God says, you know, as, as, as I have loved you, go love one another, is that a burden or is that a blessing? God's commands, is it a burden? Or is, it a, is it there to limit you or is it to lead you into God's promised land? Is it there to punish you? So God's say, oh, great, I get to take that away from you. You can't have it. I'm going to take away your family. I'm going to take away your job. I'm going to take away your money. Yeah, I'm having so much fun. Is that the way you see God? Is that the way, we, you know, we see our parents, oh, they don't want me to have any fun, they hate me. Or, I used to do that to my kids. They come home and say, well, I don't, why, do I, why do I have to do that? And, they, you know, and he doesn't have to do that. I said, well, I love him more than I love you. You know, and I just, I just point, I just, you know, why do all of our friends have bigger houses than we do? And I said, well, their parents love them more than we love you. You know, I, you know, just, gotta, you just pull out the, you know, why, why do you think I do this, right? You know, you know do, do, how do we see God? Right? Is, is God stepping into our lives and saying, this is my will, this is not my will. This is, this is righteousness, this is sin. Is God doing that stuff just to harm us? Or is he trying to bless us? It's critical how you and I see the ten which are built on the two that lead to the 601. Is God a loving father who is orchestrating the pathway to his best? Or is God a dictator who's trying to hoard it all for himself and to take away your joy? How do you see God today? This is a test. How do you see God today? And God is passionate for us to see him as a loving father who's willing to sacrifice his only son so that we can have a relationship with him that's even closer and more powerful and more change, change, life-changing than what the Israelites were preparing for in that day some 2,000-plus years ago. How do you see God? Let's pray together.